Are you amazed when people drive their vehicles for over 250,000 miles? How often should you change your engine oil? What techniques can improve your mileage? Would an expensive fuel injection cleaning improve your engine performance? This is Car Guy with Brett Beachler of Beachler's Vehicle Care and Repair. Find out how to substantially reduce your cost per mile and extend the longevity of your vehicles. Welcome to Car Guy with Brett Beachler on PeoriaLife.com. Good morning, Central Illinois. Welcome to another edition of The Car Guy on PeoriaLife.com. I'm Greg McCoy, and I'm here with Brett Beachler. How are you doing, Brett? Good morning. Great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And uh, just want to remind everybody, Brett is the Vice President of Beachler's Vehicle Care and Repair. And we spend a half hour once a week talking about cars, car repair, and uh, so forth. So today we're going to talk about the financial aspects of owning a car. Very interesting and probably more complex subject than most people realize. Um, I would, yeah, it may be a little bit complex, but I think it's uh, it's pretty simple when you lay the numbers out. Um, one of our big drivers in our business is uh, being able to help people keep their vehicle a long, long amount of miles. 250,000 miles is the ideal um, or more. 250,000 miles. miles. That sounds like a lot. Yeah, I had one come across my desk yesterday. It had 309,000 miles. Um, And it just keeps rolling. Nothing major ever has gone wrong with the vehicle. Um, Been paid for for years. Mm -hmm. So that's one of our big drivers, and and I'll I'll get to one of the reasons why you want to do that and how it helps your wallet and really your your life when it really comes down to the, the nuts and bolts of everything. So... I suppose if you're a millionaire, it doesn't make a difference, right? But uh, how many of us are millionaires? <laughs> well, that, that's true. But even, uh, you know, I've read a lot of reports that even the average millionaire millionaire does not drive a brand new car. He drives, a you know, an average age of a two-year-old car. Um, read a book years ago uh, by the title of Millionaire Next Door. And most millionaires are pretty quiet people, uh, very generous people. Um, they're not the bling that you see on the Hollywood shows. Um, Donald Trump. Or yeah, exactly. And a lot of people, they, you know, one of their analysis is you don't even notice it, uh, that, that people are wealthy. Their net, you know, their net worth is over a million dollars. Um, but one of their, their aspects was being able to drive a car, buying a, a fairly uh, new used car, never a brand new car, and drive it for 10 plus years. That's the equation. And we really in our business drive that because we're trying to help lower the cost per mile for our folks and our customers that come in the door uh, so uh, they can allocate their money toward other things in life like kids going to college or trade schools, um, you know, doing something to give back to their community, their churches, organizations, whatever the case may be. We don't we don't really desire to have people allocate a huge part of their budget into cars. Uh, because in the end, we view them as tools um, that should be taken care of and should be preserved. Uh, but at the same time, it's you know, it's uh, it's it's still a tool. So really, you're talking more more than just about cars. You're talking about an approach to life. I mean, in other words, getting back to that book, uh, the millionaire millionaire next door. Mm-hmm. Some people become wealthy or financially secure because they just happen to have a job where they make half a million dollars a year or they win the lottery or they inherit millions of dollars. But most people don't fall into that category. That is absolutely correct. And so the average person that has an average job can actually approach the state of maybe not multimillionaire, but at least financial security by making wise, 
financial choices along the way in all areas of life, right? Absolutely. And this happens to be one of them. Absolutely. A big one. Absolutely. And I've seen, you know, one of the numbers that came up in that book were um, that uh, many, many luxury cars, when you see them on the road, at that time I read the book, the number was 60% of them are leased. So people don't actually own them. Um, so I just ask people to be very careful about their decisions. In the end, it's ultimately their decision. Uh, I don't guilt people into you know doing what they want to do. I just I'm here to educate and inform people and tell them about the numbers, and then they can walk away, uh, you know, making informed decisions. You know, I spoke to 250 kids at my daughter's middle school last week, and I've had numerous kids come up to me since then and said that was really impactful because I talked about the three C's. I talked about car ownership talked about credit cards and we talked about colleges and I use a lot of um, uh, really good examples to hit them square between the eyes in terms of the expensive cars and and it's more than just turning the key and putting gas in the car and doing an oil change every once in a while it, they're very very pricey pieces of equipment and anything you can do to reduce that price you ought to take advantage of and do it so one of the things that we talked about heavily in this was the depreciation costs of cars, and I've, I've got kind of an outline for you. So if you were to, you were to have a $20,000 car and you kept it for only 75,000 miles. This is $20,000 brand new. Uh, d yeah, brand new. <clears throat> and you keep it for only 75,000 miles. So your depreciation expense on that alone is over 26 cents a mile. Okay. For the entire time that you own the car. For the entire time that you own the car. Every mile that you drive. Correct. And depreciation, I, I had a hard time wrapping my head around it when I was in middle school, and I, I, I laid it out for the kids as best I possibly could. But I think everybody listening, most everybody listening to the radio show understands depreciation. Um, basically, it's the value of the vehicle. However, if you switch that and you take it and you run that car 250,000 miles, that depreciation expense goes down to eight pennies per mile. Hmm. It's a dramatic, dramatic, dramatic change. Um, and in the end, it ends up costing you a lot of money. So then you throw the fuel expense into the vehicle. You know, and everybody thinks, and let me back up a little bit. You know, the government, what they pay business people to drive from one point to the next in terms of what they can deduct is 55 cents a mile. That is very, very, very accurate in terms of what it takes to operate a car. It's about 50 cents to 55 cents a mile. So we're kind of compiling a... Um, uh, items on the vehicle that essentially what it takes to operate that car. So you take a car that gets 30 miles a gallon. It's about a nickel per mile. So 10% of it is fuel that you're putting in this car that are the operating expense. 10% of the 55 Only 10% of the 50, yeah, 55 cents is fuel. Now, if you bump that up to, you want to maybe say drive an SUV around, um, it is approximately about 10 plus cents per mile. So about 10 cents per mile. Um, and SUVs serve their purpose and everybody knows the background on SUVs and why they came around. They were, you know, originally there were station wagons, the sales were going down in station wagons and SUVs. And I've read articles on this are essentially glorified station wagons is what they are. And that's what allowed the, the automakers to be able to sell more of these vehicles because men typically don't like to drive station wagons. And that's <laughs> one of the major aspects of it. So, so if you want to, you know, drive an SUV, drive a truck, it's okay, but it's going to cost you more pennies per mile to operate that basically on fuel. So then we go down to the breakdown of tires. And I always, I made this analogy with the kids last week. And I said, who in the, who in the room is a runner? Who's, who's a runner? 
I had about probably about two dozen kids raise their hands. And I said, Hey, how much, how much do running shoes cost? And I like Adam white, you know, down at running central, but in the end, what he sells and what I sell are dramatically different. You really boil down to the expense of running shoes. They're about a dime a mile to run running shoes. And these are two sets of um, pieces of equipment that go on your feet. If you take a really good quality set of tires of that 55 cents, it's a penny a mile to operate those tires, hmm. four tires. Hmm. It is amazing how in, inexpensive tires are when, when it really, when you break all the numbers down. So I always throw that in there because I want people to understand that, you know, when they get that bill for tires, at six, 600 bucks, give or take, uh, per mile, it's, it's really not that expensive of the makeup of all those, those prices that make up that 55 cents a mile. Um, here's another good, uh, a good one. Insurance. The average insurance uh, or person pays for insurance is about a thousand bucks a year. Thousand and twenty-three was the average. So you take that fifteen thousand miles a year, you're paying about six and six and a half, six point eight cents a mile for insurance alone, making up that fifty-five cents. Hmm. You go to factory specified maintenance. One of the things that we drive is, you know, I get a lot of folks that come in our door and they say, "Hey, Brett, you know, the magic question: What kind of car should I buy?" And there's a number of cars out there that are made domestic Asian that are that are low cost for factory maintenance and there are a handful of cars out there that are produced that the salesman is not going to tell you the expense of the factory maintenance behind it um, there are some european cars like that literally you'll see that number which is on average three and a half to four cents a mile um, on factory maintenance we'll, we will see bump up to five and six and seven cents a mile for that maintenance now pennies don't seem like a whole lot you know, it doesn't seem like a lot of money, but all of this adds up. You know, you drive a car 10 to 15,000 miles a year, multiply it by a couple pennies. Um, it all starts adding up. Um, so when people come into your shop and ask you that question, are you allowed to respond? And oh, tell absolutely. Them, on tell a one-on-one. On one. Specific uh, cars to buy or yeah. specific ones to stay away from. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of lay it out. You know, a, a lot of people will come in our door and say, hey, I'm, I'm looking at this particular model vehicle. And I say, okay. We like them. They're not bad cars. I've done it the other way where I say, yeah, sure, we like them because people write big checks to us. And I'm very frank with people, and I let them know that, you know, you look at things such as, you know, window motors when they fail. You know, an average vehicle, probably three three fifty for a window motor when it fails. And there are some models out there that we've seen people write a check for $600 because of the expense of the part. And I want people to know that going into their purchasing purchase decision because on the back end of that if i don't if i don't tell them that the onus falls upon me um as a business operator that when they come and they write me a check for 600 bucks they go why didn't you tell me about this kind of stuff when i want to go buy the car it's the same thing when people have to lay out 1200 dollars for a set of tires on an suv and they say the salesman didn't tell me this it's not the, the salesman's job to tell you that it's your job to go out and research the tire prices on vehicles when you buy them, for example, or it's your job to go out and research the maintenance costs on a vehicle, for example. I hate to put the responsibility on the person who's going to be owning the car, and I know it doesn't sound American right now because everybody wants to blame everybody else in this in this uh, country, but it's your responsibility to find this information out. And if you've got a good enough shop that will partner with you and educate you on this information, uh, you should know much of this information going into it. So... Anyway, so we, we add all of this up, and, I, and, I, and I, I explained to the kids last week. I said, you know what I, I've always thought is a really, really good idea? 
um, when it comes to car ownership is that we have a, a taxi cab type fare system inside the car. And I might have mentioned this on previous radio shows that literally you take a roll of quarters with you on every ride. And for every mile that ticks off, you should be dropping a couple quarters in that car. So it gives you the real time value of the operational cost of a vehicle. And I know a lot of people sit there and shake their head and they say, no, that's, that's not true. That's not true. And I've got numbers in front of me that back every penny that goes into operating a car. Now you can reduce that 50 cents cost per mile by keeping your car as long as you possibly can and maintaining it, preserving it. You know, if you have a garage, keep it in a garage. Um, you know, one of the things I, I, I think mentally helps people keep cars longer is keeping them clean. I think when the average person looks at a car and it's dirty, they they have an inkling to go, eh, maybe I ought to get a new car. I want that new car shine in my driveway. Or the ashtrays are full. Or they, or they, or they have garbage tire, in the car. Tires are low. Exactly. Garbage in the car. They, they allow things to really pile up on, on the vehicle. Um, but in the end, truly what it boils down to is people being able to successfully drive their vehicle for a quarter million miles or more. And the way you get there is taking care of it, not driving it aggressively. Um, I like to drive cars aggressively, but I don't do it often because I know the numbers behind it. I know it costs me more money on brakes and tires and wear and tear on the car when I drive aggressively. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. And I think that perspective is helpful if people can adopt that because, for example, you take the car in and it's time for some scheduled maintenance and it's going to cost 500 bucks or whatever. Mm -hmm. Frequently, people will say, "Eh, maybe not. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't want to spend five hundred bucks right now." And so they don't do it. And then, then something else happens like that. And then down the road, they have some catastrophe with the car. The engine blows or whatever. Mm -hmm. And now they now they get a new car. Where, whereas if they would have done the scheduled maintenance as they were supposed mm -hmm. to, maybe probably they would have avoided that disaster. So it, it's it's the same old issue of looking at the short term or looking at the long term. Remember that old uh, commercial, you can pay me now or, or pay me later. Pay me later. <laughs> yes. And there, there is a lot of truth to that. I, you know, what's interestingly, I had, we had four engines locked up this week. One of them, or two of them, I, I, I don't want to necessarily divulge what happened with another place outside of Peoria. But the second one was a gentleman literally did not changed the oil in his car. He drove it and drove it and drove it and drove it. He was thousands of miles over doing his oil. His engine burns oil. By the way, every car out there uses a degree of oil. Okay. This was a newer car. It was a 2011. Really? Not going to mention what kind of model it was, but it was a 2011. But the guy admitted to me wholeheartedly, Brett, I'm not good at maintaining my vehicle. So he's now going to write a check for $5,000 plus for a new engine in this car. It's not a, a new, it's a used 11,000 mile engine. But, you know, I was trying to console him and just say, hey, you know, in the end, it's a learning device. Now you're gonna be able to go out and teach others. Here's what happened when I didn't take care of my car. Don't beat yourself up over it. It is what it is. We've all made mistakes. But in the end, it really boiled down to basic maintenance on the vehicle was not taken care of on it. And, you know, I always go back to the adage, your owner's manual states, Check your oil level every time you get fuel in the car. Raise of hands, who does that? Very, very few people. We see very, very few people raising the hoods in their cars every time they get gas. Now, cars are made better. They're much more reliable than they used to be. But 
it's also an expensive engine. And I always explain that to people. My rule of thumb is, you know, every thousand miles, check your oil just to be careful. We've got brand new cars that come in and they're a quart down after 6,000 miles of changing oil. It happens. Hmm. It happens. So rather than having people, I know that in my best interest, it'd be great if people locked up engines all the time and, you know, we have $5,000 bills. But in the end, it's not what I want for people. I want them to be able to take care of that piece of equipment that will help serve them for many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, just just my uh, few interesting wisdom tidbits on that. Um, so, you know, think about that metering machine inside the car when you're driving the vehicle. You know, you did mention something about maintenance on cars. You know, little things like changing spark plugs. It used to be back when I was a kid, you changed spark plugs every you remember this, Greg? Mm-hmm. Five, ten, fifteen thousand miles. Distributors. Mm-hmm. Uh, most most cars are made to go one hundred thousand miles to one hundred twenty thousand miles on spark plugs. There's a reason for that. Um, they burn cleaner. The spark plugs are platinum or iridium. They're not the copper tip spark plugs that they used to be. Uh, so that extends that interval out to one hundred thousand miles. Sometimes the labor to replace those is a little bit more expensive because they bury the spark plugs as opposed to when you can get inside the engine compartment. I remember that when I was a kid. I still got a gapper. You still got a gapper. Yep. Um, and we still gap spark plugs. Um, but the reason behind changing spark plugs is not to get inside your wallet is if spark plugs arc out, which is basically a spark plug going faulty, it will take out the ignition wire that feeds it, which is the kind of the, the electrical conduit that feeds that spark plug. And it goes back into the coil, which is the one that produces the electricity. So you might have a spark plug replacement double in price because the spark plugs are not changed. You know, you go to coolant and you go back to your question of, well, I don't really have $500 to do that. And I I don't want to mess with it right now. You know, coolant loses anti-corrosion abilities and suddenly you're replacing radiators in the car, which we've replaced plenty of radiators. It happens. Um, You know, you instantly go from a $139 flush to a $500 radiator, just like that with a snap of a finger. Um, You know, the oil, you saw the example with the engine. And, of course, we are not on board with changing oil every 3,000 miles on cars because that is complete overkill, generally speaking, in most cars. Unless you live in Colorado or Alaska or some extreme environment, um, even down in Phoenix, it's it's typically not necessary to change your oil that aggressively in terms of time. So we set ours at 5,000 miles. We even tell people, hey, follow your, your oil life monitor. And if your monitor tells you to change it to 6,000 miles, change it. But keep checking your oil in between changes. Um, I don't want to see you replacing an engine. Um, you know, transmission fluid. Transmissions typically are three to four thousand dollar pieces of equipment. Transmission flushes, hundred and seventy nine bucks. Tells you to do it every hundred thousand miles. Just do it. It's preservation of the equipment in the car. Timing belt. Timing belt. A lot. Most cars are not equipped with timing belts anymore. You see a lot of timing chains. Mm. You know, I know your truck, for example, is timing chain. My both of my cars are timing chains. Um, but when timing belt, when a timing belt does break. It does an enormous amount of damage to an engine, so that's the whole purpose behind changing a timing belt. And there's no way to know it's going to break. There's no way to know. It's buried inside. It's below a timing belt cover. You can't visually inspect it like you can, say, a serpentine belt, which goes around your alternator Mm -hmm. and your power steering pump and your air conditioning and your crankshaft pulley. Um, That is visible to almost everybody when you're inspecting cars. So, and that's not nearly as critical as a power steering. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's critical because if that belt breaks, then you lose everything, the car dies, and you get towed in somewhere. So, but good shops are always inspecting that belt. Um, so, so that that's the purpose behind doing 
uh, maintenance. It's again, it's not to part yourself with money out of your wallet. It's to preserve that piece of equipment for as long as you can. So you can take that depreciation expense, which I explained before, 26 cents a mile down to about eight cents a mile. If you can, you can, you can work that out. And you, you know, you get down to this magic number. I know you're looking at the sheet and I always, I always, when I do my lunch and learns and I, I present this to organizations and schools and businesses, when I do this, uh, lunch and learn with people. And I, I, I suppose I can tell this on the radio because I always do a little, <laughs> I, I always do a little contest with people and I, I have a little giveaway and I always say, okay, if you were to purchase a car at age 18 and you drive it until the age of 68, that's 50 years, correct? How much money are you thinking you're going to spend on a car on average over that 50 years? You know, I, it was interesting last week I had the kids are raising their hands and they're like, you know, dollar amounts to them are really big. And they're like 25,000, 50,000. I'm like, nah, keep, keep inching it up. And, uh, fun, finally a couple of them went way high and they said, okay, a million bucks. And I said, well, okay, well that's a little far-fetched. Okay. Next one raised their hand and said 450,000 bucks. So I gave him one of my books and I said, here, now you have a book to read when you, just before you turn driving age. And the number is $441,000 to operate that vehicle from 18 to 68 years old, not the same vehicle. You're turning over vehicles, of course. I mean, it'd be amazing if you can keep a car 50 years. Um, but the the reason I tell this number to folks is not to scare them away from car ownership. It is to encourage them to take care of, um, preserve the vehicle as long as they can, because how you reduce that number of 441000 down to approximately 300000 to operate that car over years is your habit of buying a car not new. Um, you know, I know we were talking before the show, the ideal time to buy a car is a couple of years old. Okay. The formula is to keep it up until 250 plus, 250,000 miles plus. Then you can take that 441,000 and reduce it down to approximately $300,000, give or take. So you say to yourself, okay, what's the big deal? 100,000 bucks. Well, 100,000 bucks, that'll buy a, one of your kids' college education. If you choose to have that type of strategy in terms of your vehicle ownership, your vehicle, you know, managing your vehicle. Um, but if you don't want to do that, then don't do it. I, 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 by no means am I telling people what to do with their cars. I just lay the numbers out and they go, oh, that's pretty common sense. Maybe I'll change my strategy and how I think about cars and, you know, they're not going with us. And, and the list goes on and on and on. But some people choose to do it. Some people don't. It's enlightening. Right. And I think it's important to realize this because to so many people, the choice of buying a car versus not buying the, the decision is much more than financial. It's, it's status. Mm -hmm. It's marketing. Um, it's, uh, oh, I've had this car for three years. Time to get a new car. Mm -hmm. It's so emotional. It's very emotional. And do you have any thoughts about how to get beyond the emotion and really starting looking at this as, as a financial decision, not an emotional or status type decision? Other than that's, just looking at the numbers. <laughs> you know, the big one is looking at the numbers. Um, the other one is not succumbing to the pressure that we put on ourselves and society um, to, quote, unquote, keep up with the Joneses. I see it all the time in my business. Um, uh, I shouldn't say all the time. I see it often where people are purchasing cars that they shouldn't be purchasing. And I go back to one of Dave Ramsey's. Uh, advocating statements, he says, is its percentage of income. It's it's not about how much the car costs you. It's percentage of income. And where people have to be careful is, 
you know, somebody's making $40,000 a year and they go out and buy a $40,000 car. That is probably not a wise decision. Um, they're going to be working a lot, a lot of hours to pay for that vehicle. Is there a percentage that you're thinking of or is that Dave Ramsey uh, talked about? You know, I've read a couple of Dave Ramsey's books. Um, I've listened to him for quite a long time. I've never heard him express what the actual number is of percentage of income. Um, but my guess is it's probably in the 15 to 20% range. Um, and I, I could be totally wrong. I've worked this out in my head. I'm going, okay, you know, you make $50,000 a year, you know, a $10,000 car. Is that formidable? I think it's formidable to buy a $10,000 vehicle, keep it for 10 years and turn around and buy another vehicle, which at that point would probably be a 15 or $20,000 vehicle. Um, I just, my, my thought is the average person may not be, shouldn't be in the consideration process of, you know, if you got a car that's worth 75% of your income, probably is not the wisest decision. Another but, aspect of, of the financial side of buying a car is mm -hmm. the whole idea of financing. Mm -hmm. And and that, and I forget, did you touch on that in your total uh, cost per car or cost per mile and so forth? You know, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one because, you know, the average person, you know, Dave Ramsey talks about paying cash for cars and I'm a, I'm a big advocate of paying yourself a car payment as you own a car and don't even pay attention to the money. So when it comes time to buying your next car, you've got money saved up. You've earned interest on it as opposed to paid interest. You know, we had a, we had an older uh, lady that came in, she and her daughter were looking at buying a car and, and they really didn't have the means to buy a expensive car. And they came back and said they found a used one for $15,000. I sat down with them and I worked the numbers and I said, do you know you're going to be paying $7,000 in interest? And they had not a clue. Hmm. All they saw was car payments every month. Um, and I, I backed them off and I, we actually had a loaner vehicle that we were getting ready to get rid of. And, and so we sold it really, really inexpensively to them. But the, the point behind it was interest is really, really expensive. And I, I had a lesson way back when I was in high school that said, okay, Look at the amount of interest you're paying on something that you purchase and calculate how many hours you have to work just to pay the interest alone. And that was really an eye-opener for me to go, oh, wow. You know, at that time, you know, you're 16 years old, you're making big money at five fifty an hour or whatever we were making back then. And I thought, oh, my goodness. You know, I'd, one of the things I taught these kids is I, I had this big thing at age 16. I was going to go out and buy a brand-new Pontiac Fiero, brand-new. I was getting all excited. My dad and I, I thought I had him convinced to co-sign on it, but he had other plans for me. And it would have been an enormous amount of money I'd have been paying. I'd have been paying on that thing for years because I would have made an unwise decision to go out and buy a brand new car when I was 16 with my earning potential. It would have probably been a, you know, a car worth, you know, 150% of my income at that time. Um, not, not a wise decision. So uh, if people can do it, I always advocate paying cash for vehicles. That's an example. It's a good reason why you should hold a vehicle or own a vehicle for a long period of time, right? Mm -hmm. You get it paid off, and if you are paying a car payment, say it's two hundred fifty dollars mm -hmm. a month, uh, then after that point, instead of selling it and getting a new car and taking on another payment, mm -hmm. you just keep that car and you put that two hundred fifty dollars in the bank. Greg, your wisdom is just spewing out, <laughs> <laughs> just repeating what you said. Exactly. So exactly. Then after you do that for another five, six, seven years, and guess what? You Next have, thing you know, you have enough money to pay cash for a car. You're writing a check. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of it is you're not sitting there walking by a car every day that you're making $400 a month car payment on. So just it's it just boils down to little decisions. And 
I believe in the end, as long as people understand the numbers, you allow them to make a bigger picture decision. Now, some people aren't going to do that, and that's okay. As long as they're empowered and they're informed with exactly what goes into how much cars cost over the, the, a period of time, and they want to turn around and say, you know what, I don't really care. I still want a new car. Okay. I, the onus is off of my shoulders, and I've taught them and educated them. I don't have the energy or the time to try to convince people and try to change people. I just want to educate and inform people. Or there are times when someone someone's status in life changes, mm -hmm. which dictates a different type of vehicle. Say a young family that has now two, now three, now four kids. Absolutely. A little Datsun B210 probably isn't the most appropriate car for Correct. them anymore. I don't, they don't make B210s anymore. No, they don't. <laughs> so anyway, well, it looks like we are approaching the end of our half hour. So, Brett, thanks again for your wisdom. Appreciate it. I, I hope uh, people are listening and taking to heart some of these things. Uh, if someone has a question about a car, can they contact you in any way? Probably the best way to contact me, and that way I can interact with them, is we have a Facebook page, Beachler's Vehicle Care and Repair Facebook page. Um, pretty easily um, locatable, I guess is what you want to call it. So just find us on Facebook, send me a message. I manage it. Um, if you've got, you got a question, feel free. I'm, I'm pretty objective when it comes to this kind of information. So Great. All right. Well, thanks again for your time today, Brett. Uh, this has been another edition of The Car Guy on PeoriaLife.com. Thanks a lot. Have, have a great day, everybody. Thank you. See you next week. PeoriaLife.com.